Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Welcome back to this episode of Faith in Your Recovery. We're glad you've joined us today. Uh, welcome aboard, and we hope that you can you can get up from here after our episode, knowing more than what you did at the start, and understanding the struggle more clearly. We've got a special guest with us. I'll introduce her in a few moments. She's she's actually remote, coming to us from the uh, the lovely bounds of Tennessee. I've got a good connection there. My wife's from the Crossville area. I love Tennessee time, okay? But before we get into it, I want to remind you of something special. We have our book available, Recovery Conversations, with Randy Davis. It features some of our most popular podcasts, Volume 1. All you have to do is go to Amazon, type in Randy Davis. It's going to pop up in a heartbeat. Uh, We'd love to have you get one, give us some feedback on it, or you can either get a hold of us at our office at info at ablbh.org or our website ablbh.org. So uh, we hope you'll give it a try and see. We've got future volumes already in the work, and we're having a good response. We're excited about it. So uh, let me introduce you to today's guest, Caroline Beidler. Welcome, Caroline. Thank you so much. I'm so looking forward to having a conversation with you all today. Thank you. Thank you. We look forward to your knowledge and experiences. Correct me if I'm wrong on here. I'm going by your bio and website information. Uh, You're a holder of a master's in social work, an author, recovery advocate. You've developed your own storytelling platform as well as a... uh, a wife, a mother of two twin sons. That has to be a special life in and of itself. Uh, So, yeah, does that pretty well cover it? Well, you know, you hit some of the high points. I have to say there have been so many, thank uh, and praise God for that. And just to correct you slightly, so my twins, I have a boy, uh, Henrik, William and a girl, Violet Elizabeth. Oh. So God bless me with a boy and a girl um, in one fell swoop. So um, my husband was was praising God for that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're uh, yeah well, we're very very grateful and um, yes. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for getting that. Right. That's important, especially to them. Okay. So, yeah. So tell us a little bit about your educational and professional background, and then we'll get into some more personal kind of questions here concerning your experiences. All right. Well, I, I, you know, love to share a little bit about my professional background because it doesn't point to how amazing or incredible I am. Um, in fact, it points to how amazing our God is and how uh, Jesus can really um, bring beauty from ashes. And with God, all things are possible. You know, when I was 
a youngin and struggling with addiction really early on. I never dreamed uh, that I would be, you know, going back to school in my recovery to get a master's in social work. And I never dreamed that I would write a book. Um, I never dreamed that, you know, part of my journey and story has been using and speaking about my own struggles with addiction and trauma and mental health in order to help others. And God has really equipped me over the years to do some things like, you know, talking on podcasts and, and public speaking, which I have to say is a huge stretch for me and, and kind of breaks me out of my comfort zone, um, to things like program development. I've had a, the opportunity to create a recovery house for women. Um, back in, when I lived in the Midwest, I have created a statewide recovery coaching network that brings peer support folks into emergency department settings uh, to talk with individuals who've experienced overdose. And most recently, I have loved working in our uh, small town in eastern Tennessee to help our church develop a peer-based recovery ministry that provides recovery coaching and recovery housing scholarships uh, and other services for folks right in our local community who are in need. Uh, So again, yeah, I've just, I've been so, and, and I'm so grateful today. And sometimes when I take a step back and, you know, or someone reads my bio, I'm just taken again by uh, how amazing our God is. Oh, I'll tell you what, we want to, we want to glorify on that on here most certainly. I can relate to a lot of what you're saying. I kept hearing you say, you didn't dream of this, you didn't dream of that. I'm going to guess that in the midst of that addiction, you dream very little. You had some nightmares, most probably, but the dream was just to survive the day. Uh, but mm. certainly you've done that. You've done it in a very victorious way. And and as you've said over and over, it all points to God because it's not within us, especially once we get into those situations, circumstances, those dark places we we find ourselves in. So thank you for sharing that. Here at Faith in Your Recovery, our goal is that we strive to promote and share all things recovery. We realize everybody has a different story. Everybody got into it one way, uh, not the same way, their own individual journey, and they'll get out of it through their own individual journey because if you or I or anyone else had the answer, there'd be no need for us to talk today. And we know that struggle's real, but I want to hear from you. How did you find your way out of this struggle? Well, that's, that's a wonderful question. It's, it's a beautiful question, and it's also a very complex question <laughs> uh, in many regards, um, or I'd like to make it complex. You know, I like to make everything more difficult than it really is, I think, probably. Uh, my husband may attest to that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think ultimately what led me to um, surrender and um, turn my life over and, and really accept this God, uh, Jesus, who had been kind of on my uh, tails for a while and had been, I think, uh, drawing me closer was, you know, a series of really challenging uh, experiences. And you, you kind of referenced one where you, you know, shared, you know, an active addiction, you probably didn't dream. And that was, that was it. That was it. I didn't have the ability to look outside of myself, to dream, to hope, 
to believe, to understand that God had a plan and a purpose for my life. It was all about, you know, living in this kind of base, you know, satisfying uh, that craving, you know, for drugs and alcohol, trying to fill, you know, that emptiness inside me, um, not having, it's kind of, I'm trying to find the words here, um, but not having an answer to this struggle that was going on into me, within me, you know, and, you know, the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans that, you know, we do these things that we don't want to do, what we hate, we do. And that was this constant struggle I had, because I didn't have, I, I couldn't, explain uh, my and I had no um kind of biblical knowledge or connection uh with Jesus at that time but I just had this war in me and I knew there was a war in me but I didn't know what the way out was and so for me it felt so hopeless and so dark and um when I think back to those using days I just I see myself you know in this dark smoky apartment completely alone riddled by fear anxiety depression you know, doing things, uh, you know, that a lot of us, especially women in active addiction do to degrade ourselves and our bodies and, you know, just all of that mess. I was just trapped in that place. Um, and so what propelled me out, like I mentioned, I just, I felt this drawing of God and, you know, unfortunately, oftentimes, uh, I can speak from my own experience, uh, as, as a, as a broken, sinful <laughs> human being, um, it took a lot of pain to get to the point of, you know, me literally dropping on my knees and saying, Lord, help me. Yes. And not just like this, you know, kind of help me, God, if, you know, you get me out of this, or if, you know, you give me my next, you know, high, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever you want kind of prayer. It was like, I fell to the knees because I knew I had no other option. I knew I needed saving and I finally had an answer of who I needed to reach out to, like who it was that was on uh, my trail for a long time, you know? And, um, and there was a moment and there was a, a moment when that happened after um, a friend of mine were actually, we were in a car accident and, um, and that moment happened when I felt God very clearly speaking to me that it was time to be alive. It was time to be alive. And um, since that point in my early 20s, it's been a beautiful, hard, uh, messy human journey, but it's been a, an incredible one of, um, you know, discipleship and formation and, and service and um, always learning, never if, done. If we're always honest, learning. that those ugly moments are in us all, those, mm -hmm. those struggles, those raw times that we have to make it through in a real way. How long were you in active addiction? I started um, using alcohol around 10, 11, 12, <clears throat> excuse me, and then uh, harder drugs about 14, 15. So from, you know, 12 to 28, I uh, guess you all can do the math. I'm in my 40s now. So, um, you know, I started my recovery journey, I want to say probably early 20s. And um, it took a while, almost almost a decade, um, and God willing, you know, day by day, I'm walking uh, in recovery free of substance use and addiction, um, gratefully, you know, today. But it was a journey. It was a, it was a journey. And um, that's part of why I'm so passionate about sharing my recovery story and doing some of the work and service that I've been doing in the community because I know how impactful 
those, you know, recovery services and different types of programs, certainly ministries, um, and, and just sharing about, you know, the love of God and how we can be uh, transformed and redeemed uh, and freed from addiction. And I just, I feel this passion and calling because, you know, I, I needed it so, so bad. I needed someone to come alongside me um, at different points in my life. And I, I try to do the same today. Throwing in that phrase, passion and calling, answered my next question, which was basically going to be, what was the landmark that moved you in the direction of being a recovery advocate? And you pretty pretty well answered it right there. Uh, I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that, but it sounds like that mm-hmm. was a wonderful starting point. Uh, once you got your life turned around, you must have gone at it full force uh, to mm-hmm. be where you're at today with the education you have and experiences and all that you have to offer. God's done a good job with you, and you've been a willing servant. Thank you for that. The world needs you, certainly your world there, and today we hope this will this will help spread that. So what what do you see in your experiences professionally as the main causes or reasons for addiction? Yeah, I understand it's a disease. I'm of the belief that it's a disease that's set off by a choice. But what do you see as those causes and reasons for addiction? Yes, I love that question. And, you know, it's interesting because a friend of mine brought this up recently, too, that, you know, the disease model of addiction or that addiction is a medical condition is is pretty widely accepted now. And that's something that a lot of, you know, us recovery advocates talk about. I certainly talk about it. I think, and at the same time, uh, I think it's a lot bigger than that, you know, and you're kind of pointing to that uh, as well. You know, for me, in just my own story, and then those that I've worked with, and even currently uh, am, am working with and mentoring, uh, one of the main uh, similarities between us all is trauma. Um, oh, yes. So whatever that may be, whether it's, you know, a child passing away or um, oftentimes sexual abuse, sexual assault, um, you know, neglect, divorce, death, whatever the trauma is, uh, trauma and, you know, along with that, because I, I, you know, most of us experience some type of trauma, you know, we live on planet Earth, it's, it's going to happen. But along with that, other types of risk factors that uh, kind of perpetuate this inability to heal from whatever trauma. So that might be, you know, for me, it was um, a broken home and, you know, some other things that kind of just piled on top of uh, some initial traumas. Uh, and then, of course, as we know, kind of spiritually what happens sometimes with trauma, especially around what many of us um, in, in recovery have experienced, is shame. And so, you know, I, the enemy just kind of like creates this perfect storm of trauma and shame and lack of social support and loneliness and isolation. And we are just completely separate, separated, you know, um, from kind of the, the herd uh, where we're just so vulnerable to staying in that place. And, you know, that's why in part of like what I've done uh, with developing recovery programs like housing for women is having support for trauma is vital 
is vital because if we don't look at some of those underlying issues around why we started, why we picked up, why we started using drugs and alcohol in the first place, it's not going to go away. And I think that's, that's why I struggled for so many years, even though I wanted recovery so bad. I wanted healing so much, but I didn't see, I wasn't able to recognize how much the trauma of my past uh, was influencing my day-to-day decisions and how much the shame was involved in that. And so, yeah, I think trauma is a huge piece of why people go out and pick up. And, you know, we, it, we're we living in really hard times, you know, really hard times. And so I think now almost more than ever, there's a reason to want to escape uh, our lives and our trauma and what we see going on in the world. And, um, you know, there's another way. And there's where the hope is. Amen. And there's where the light com- comes in, you know, that God is present in all this. And so, again, why I love what you all are doing with your podcast and your work and your your mission um, is just bringing that light uh, to the darkness because the dark will lie and say that that's all there is. But we know that that's not true. Exactly. And and I like the way you referred to it. You came real close to the scripture that speaks of in this world, you will have trouble. It doesn't say you may. It doesn't say if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, if you're a believer, if you're not a believer, or what you believe. It's very clear. In this world, you will have trouble. But then it goes on to say in so many words, but behold, Jesus has overcome. And so we it's how we respond to that trouble, how we respond to that, you know, that adverse childhood experience or whatever the case mm-hmm. may be, our own trauma. I believe trauma, along with our decision of how we will handle it, is more of a gateway drug than anything else we hear. Or I should say a gateway, it's not a drug, but it, it's the gateway to it all. And we've done some somewhere around 90 of these podcasts now, and that trauma rears its head in every interview. Uh, and you've done a good job of pointing at that. So let's look at the other side of that in a way. What do you see as one of the leading misconceptions concerning addiction uh, that we've we've assumed and maybe wrongfully so? Mm, that's a tough question. Oh, I like this. I'm loving this conversation. Good. Um, you know, I I, I just kind of keep coming back to that that spiritual uh, piece of, of what we're talking about here. And that's one of the, I love talking to ministries and, you know, other faith-based leaders and um, folks out there who are talking about faith-based recovery, because I, I think that there's a lot missing um, in, a, in a lot of different recovery spaces and people are afraid to talk about their connection with God or spirituality, you know, and when I say spirituality, I mean, uh, you know, the faith that uh, we share. Um, I think one of the most common misconceptions is that addiction isn't a spiritual uh, situation. You know, it's not a spiritual malady. Um, and, And I think not talking about the spiritual side when we only talk about the disease model of addiction when we don't talk about the spiritual side we're missing a lot of the the, the meat the pieces of what uh, can be a solution for folks you know i talked about my experience of really struggling with understanding my sin nature 
And I struggled in that for years because I didn't have a solution. I didn't have a name. I didn't have an understanding of who my God is. Uh, and people need to understand that, you know, so it, whether that's uh, through, you know, evangelism and, and missional work. I mean, and that's why I feel like the addiction space is ripe for folks who are, you know, feel called and feel moved. It's a mission field. It is a mission field. Um, and so staying true and connected to this, this reality and this truth that addiction is also a spiritual thing. And how can we come and walk alongside folks um, and, and not only like help them understand that, but then provide the, the solution, you know, provide the truth, not as the world sees it, you know, but, but God's truth. Amen to that. Yes, I believe that very much. So we're, uh, we're certainly on the same page in that respect. I have heard it said, I don't know where you stand on this, but I've heard it said you can find recovery without God. I would not want to face that that struggle, that battle, I don't want to face tomorrow. And I'm not dealing with recovery as far as drugs or alcohol or anything of that nature. I don't want to face tomorrow without God. I don't want to go to Walmart without God. I mean, nothing critical of Walmart. But I want that confidence, assurance that goes with having him in my heart that if I go and I, you know— I fumble, I fail, I can get back up and ask forgiveness and keep on moving forward. And, and I'm of the belief there is a lot of fumbling, the feeling of failure in recovery. It's not a straight line kind of thing, or it's not a straight road without humps and bumps. And we're going to take our spills, but we've just got to Keep moving forward, take that next right step, keep trusting, keep believing. And, and I think also that we as believers have to give, give those strugglers some space and realize that at some point, for many, it's all babble. It doesn't make sense. But let them see the light, continue to shine that light for them until they can find it on their own. We've got to be that light and that, that essence, that presence of Christ in their life. Mm. So, yeah. Amen to that. Let me let me go in a little different direction here. I'm talking about how we can how we can help others and how we can get rid of the misconceptions. Where do you see the line between helping and enabling somebody who's dealing with their own struggle with addiction? Yeah, that, that's also another really. Um important question and one that I probably get uh, almost the most uh, from family members, uh, a question similar to that is, is kind of like, what do I do? You know, I'm at my wit's end. Um, I've been struggling with my son or daughter or family member, loved one. You know, what do I do? How far could, should I go with um, extending my love to them? Should I withhold love, um, tough love, you know, uh, where does discipline fall into that? Like, what, what should I do? And I, you know, I wish I had um, a, a kind of a rote answer I could give you uh, that I knew worked 100% of the time and I don't. 
but what I can say is, you know, from my own experience and having my own loved ones being concerned for me, you know, I learned a couple things. And one of those being, being loved, you know, being loved never did any harm to me. So extending grace, making that phone call, answering that phone call never hurt, never hurt. If anything, having a uh, knowing that a particular family member loved me no matter what and loved me unconditionally, regardless of my choices or my struggle or my addiction issues, um, that was healing. Having a loving, a family member believe in me and believe that my life had purpose and value before I did, that was healing and transformational. Uh, so being, you know, Christ to others and extending this unconditional love, um, which of course will fail because, you know, we're human, but, you know, being able to love others with grace um, is an incredibly transformational and powerful thing. But that being said, you know, my loving family member did not give me $200 in cash right? My loving family member set boundaries. And my loving family member said, you know what, you need to go to treatment. You know, I was 17 years old, and, and they gave me two choices, treatment or foster care. And I chose treatment, thank goodness. But, you know, setting up firm boundaries, especially if you are talking about a child, um, you know, but there's a lot, there is a lot of kind of complexity there. And at the same time, you know, maybe not as much uh, as we want there to be. But extending that love and grace, but then being smart uh, with boundaries. And, um, you know, I think that's how you can kind of um, try to not enable a situation, but it's tough. You know, and the other thing I always tell family members is connect with other family members, go to your church, see if they have a group for, you know, uh, parents with, with loved ones, uh, who are struggling with addiction, go to an addiction recovery ministry, go to celebrate recovery, find a community of people who are going through something similar. And those folks are going to be able to share some incredible experience. Those folks are going to help kind of shepherd you and disciple you through this. Um, so that would be my kind of uh, couple of things that I would say to folks who are curious about, you know, how to support loved ones who are struggling. That is a difficult spot to be in, and uh, we all know that when someone is in the throes of their addiction, they can manipulate quite well, but we need mm -hmm. to love them beyond and above that. We need to be there, but that doesn't mean we have to be present at all moments. Our heart needs to be present with them, but uh, we don't have to be standing side by side in certain situations and certainly don't want to give it a seat of approval so uh, now tell us a little bit about a couple of your the platforms you've created your storytelling platform of circle of chairs and uh in the rooms tell us uh yeah give us a little background on that please sure yeah so a couple of years ago i think it was about 2020 and um the world felt like it was changing a little bit and um you know, things just felt unstable and unsure. And actually, you know, I came to a point in my recovery journey where I really felt, I don't want to say unsure, but I really felt convicted. I really felt convicted that, you know, I needed to be not only sharing more vulnerably in my local community of recovery, 
um, in my church and just being more transparent myself with my struggles. And even at, you know, um, quite a, you know, a couple years sober. Um, but I, I just felt this conviction to kind of connect with women and to, to build a place where we could tell stories of recovery, you know, where we could shine a light on what was happening in our experience because I, because I needed that so much at that time because I started struggling again. You know, I'm, I'm pretty open about that now, but at the time, you know, it was, it was hard. And I felt, you know, I was at home with my, with my babies. I love them so much, but I, I felt really disconnected from community. Everything was, you know, things were shutting down and we weren't allowed to leave. You know, it was just like a lot of isolation. Um, and for me, being isolated is, is not a good thing. Um, and so, so in a way, I, I kind of created this community um, as a response to, you know, feeling a little bit of that isolation. And I knew I needed to stay tethered to the recovery community. And so for me at the time, it was digitally. Uh, it was online. It was virtually. Um, I also, you know, wrote my book during that time. And um, so I was just wanting to build community. And that's something that I, I really love to do, whether that's, you know, doing a, a cookout at our house or whatever. I just, I really love bringing people together. So anyway, so that's kind of how Circle of Chairs has evolved. Um, and so, you know, I do some writing on there. It's like a weekly newsletter, but then also I love to have submissions of folks in recovery share their stories um, to share that light with others. And you know, so I've done that and a couple other things, you know, I worked on my book downstairs church. Um, and, you know, I think ultimately what, what I love to do is speak to whether it's in whether it's circle of chairs or whether it's, uh, you know, other writing in the rooms, which is a global platform uh, of recovery. There's meetings and I do some blog writing for them, but I try to speak to the seeker. I try to speak to the person like I was at different points in my time who might not necessarily uh, read their Bible every night or even, you know, care to uh, ever, you know, I want to speak to that person um, to shine a light in those places that I think even in recovery in the recovery community, um, there's, there's still a lot of darkness. So I hope that answered your question. Oh, I feel that's, like I was a little all over the place. No, no, okay. that's quite fine. That's super. Tell us about the book, Downstairs Church. I love that title. I have my own perception of what that, where that title may have, you know, may have come from. But let's hear from you. Well, you know, the book, the book evolved. And, you know, you're a writer. And I'm sure you know this. You know, it, it doesn't how it comes into the world isn't exactly how it starts. And um, I worked uh, in community with folks on this book, and it was really amazing to see the way that God uh, changed it and how it evolved. But I, I had an interview um, with one of my favorite authors, Philip Yancey, and I was interviewing him, uh, and he was talking about an experience that he had. He talks about it in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, but he talked about his experience going to an AA meeting. In Chicago and he went downstairs in the downstairs part of the church and he talked to his friends about you know why he wasn't going upstairs um, in the sanctuary you know for the service and and that his friend was talking about how you know he felt like church was a place for people who have it all together um, 
but the downstairs church was that place where people could be real and vulnerable um, and supportive. And it just got me thinking about, you know, about the downstairs church and the upstairs church and about how, you know, maybe we're not that different. And what would it take for the downstairs church to move upstairs? And what would it take for the upstairs church to learn a little bit about what happens in those downstairs spaces that I believe is so true to what God calls us to, which is confession uh, and repentance uh, publicly and um, vulnerability and honesty. You know, what would happen you know, if the two spaces collide, uh, so to speak. I am and, um, seeing I just, a video of all of this in my head as you speak. You are oh. just <laughs> you are just speaking the video I'm seeing, and I love that visual. Please go ahead. <laughs> well, well, great. Um, so, you know, in the downstairs church, you know, in the book, I just I wanted to to give folks in all spaces, whether you're upstairs, downstairs, no no stairs or wherever you're at, a a picture of what happens in recovery from the perspective of, you know, my own journey and those uh, like me who've really sought a connection with God. um, And that happened through the recovery journey. I wanted to give that picture um, and kind of throughout the narrative, throughout the book, bring those two spaces together and and hopefully uh, the reader will feel a little bit closer um, maybe to what happens in the in the upstairs spaces of the church so um, I, I hope folks read it and I always say my husband's like Quit giving the book away but um, I always say if cost is an issue or access people can reach out to me uh, through my website or however uh, tell I them love what your website is please go ahead mm-hmm. and give them contact information Sure. Yeah. So you can just visit me, carolinebidler.com. Um, and that's B-E-I-D-L-E-R, Caroline, uh, like the Neil Diamond song, Bidler.com. And um, find me online. And, and yeah, I love to get messages from folks. And I love to share the message in the book. Um, so, yeah. That you have very much described what a better life bringing us hope our organization is about. And that's giving that crossover from downstairs to up and upstairs to down, just to gain an understanding to where we can more closely become one, at least in our understanding, even if we don't participate in the upstairs or the downstairs, but at least come to a recognition we all matter, we all count, Uh, and even if we're on the stairway there, somewhere in between, uh, that's all a, a big part of it. So, what do you see as the most effective approach when it when it comes to the battle against substance use disorder addiction? Well, one of the the scriptures that um, you know I believe has is, is just been really on my heart in terms of recovery is is from James chapter five verse sixteen. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and mm. pray for each other that so that you may be healed. Uh, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective confession. Now, I know that's not like a popular, you know, topic probably uh, in a lot of circles, Um, but confession, sharing uh, vulnerability, confession, when we share openly, and that's so much what happens in the recovery space, um, is confessing publicly. And there is something so powerful 
about bringing our dirty laundry, all of it, uh, the mess, the struggle, the hard, the gritty, bringing it into the light. Uh, and God does something beautiful uh, with that. And so, you know, if there is a foundational verse, I believe that points to what happens in the recovery community, it is that one. Uh, confessing our sins to one another, and then praying for each other, coming together. If you're familiar with, you know, 12 steps, step five, sharing uh, with ourselves, with each other, with God, praying for each other. Um, it's we, beautiful, and it moves mountains. Yes. We believe very much in being raw and being real. Uh, mm-hmm. Share where you're at, and we'll try to help you get to a better, healthier, closer-to-God kind of place. But we need to know where we're starting from before we can ever get a destination. It's like with your GPS. If it doesn't know mm-hmm. where you are, it can't tell you how to get where you want to go. So uh, tell us where you're at, and we'll... We'll plug you into that GPS. Uh, mm-hmm. So if finances, resources were absolutely no issue, what is the next step you would like to take as far as your work in the recovery field? And resources were not an issue. Exactly. Okay. Well, you know, I, I love that. I love that. Um, I think having access to recovery housing is key. And when I say housing, that is safety. Um, that is giving someone a sense of home and belonging. And especially for folks, you know, like me, folks that I work with who uh, grew up with pretty unstable uh, home life, <laughs> Having that sense of family and belonging is so critical, and that can happen in a house, in a place. I love the house church uh, concept. I love the idea of bringing that together with recovery. Uh, So if you have communities of recovery, uh, living uh, a faith-based recovery in a space, in a place, in a local community, I think transformation for folks who struggle with addiction can happen on an incredible scale. Um, and I believe God is calling to the, us to that. Uh, so I don't know what that looks like necessarily, other than, you know, in my local community, I'm really trying hard. I'm praying, um, trying to wait on uh, what God is going to show show us here in uh, our small town in eastern Tennessee. But we need those places for women uh, in our community, certainly men as well. But we need those places. And so, again, I'm not sure, you know, what that looks like, but if I had unlimited resources, I would make sure there was a place for folks who are struggling, a home, uh, a family where they could feel a sense of belonging, where they could be uh, discipled and where they could study the word of God and have like a little house church community going on um, and then be able to go out in the world and uh, multiply that and spread that. Amen. Amen. So two more questions. We start to wrap this up in your mind your heart, what is the book you're waiting to write? Well, it's been it's been percolating, that's what I'm gonna say. And I have book two is gonna be coming out probably in a year. So that one's already done. Um, but I'm not gonna share much more about that one. But the book that I'm waiting to write uh is a little bit more about kind of a 
spiritual formation, um, discipleship, um, kind of what happens in the soul uh, in recovery uh, and in faith and, and really uh, digging into uh, the hard times, but, but um, providing little pieces of some of the things that I've gleaned um, from others, you know, along the journey and, and then incorporating scripture in that because, you know, I kind of uh, have joked with other folks, you know, a lot of my audience actually are, aren't Christian. Um, I'm hoping to draw them in certainly, but they're not um, Christian. And so I well, want to hooray for that in my estimation. Oh, yeah. Hooray exactly. for that. Hey, but, we welcome you. That's, and I believe, you know, we're called, we're called uh, to share the message. And so I want to have a, a piece, a, another book that is able to incorporate scripture in a way that is palatable <laughs> to all folks uh, to hopefully draw in those who are on the fringes, who are seeking folks like I've been at different stages in my, awesome. in my journey. Awesome. So our final question as you're aware, the name of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery, and you've certainly more than once alluded to and spoken about your Christian faith, uh, your godly beliefs. What does that term, faith in your recovery, mean to you? Well, I'm also having a picture here, and a mental image um, of my faith is, is all, uh, and recovery is, is kind of a piece in that. Um, and so faith in my recovery isn't faith in, you know, the act of my recovery, but recovery is inside of this larger, uh, part of my story, um, which is actually not my story at all. Uh, it's God's story. Yes. Yes. Um, when we speak of our history, that breaks down to his story and, uh, there you are. Thank you for that. Is there Anything else you'd like to add before we wrap this up, Caroline? You know, I just want to end with, if there's a listener out there who is struggling um, and who needs that message of hope and somehow you stumbled along this podcast, I hope you've made it through to the end. And um, I just want to encourage that listener, uh, that person with uh, the truth and the reality that God does have a plan and a purpose for you, that your life has purpose and value and hold on. It is so worth it. Recovery is so worth it. Uh, and that you're loved. I've never seen anyone want to turn back from recovery. Okay. Mm -hmm. And folks, as Caroline said so, so well here and with such passion throughout this, you do matter. We're here because we care. And, uh, you can reach us at podcast at ablbh.org. We'd love to have you go for our book through recoveryconversations.org or Amazon. But Caroline, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your work, your heart, your ministry. Uh, God bless and all that you accomplish. And I know he's going to get the glory for it. And uh, maybe we'll talk again one of these times. And we just wish you Godspeed and God's blessings. Thank you, Thank you so much. folks. Tune back in. We look forward to sharing with you, having you a part of who we are and what we're about. Stay in the battle. Thank you. God bless.